The following message is from Ridgewood Church in Greer, South Carolina. For more information, visit RidgewoodGreer.com. Good evening. Uh, We are so glad to have you at the last gathering of the church at Greer Station. Next week, we're still going to gather same time, same place, but as Ridgewood Church. We welcome you if you are a newcomer. Hopefully, you got a newcomer's bag on the way in. In that bag is a newcomer's card. We would love for you to fill that out. It's a great way for us to get to know you and you to get to know us. I will uh, follow up with you this week. and would love to, to connect. I don't know if I said my name is, is Aaron. I might, have already, I might have already said that. But you have gathered with us on a great night. This is our family worship gathering. I think our first two songs we've both sang at, at Backer Bible Club, maybe one of them this year, the second one this year, maybe one last year. So there's lots of motions, and, and the kids know all of the different motions. I don't know them. Uh, Trevor, I think, was you know, doing, doing a few a little bit here and there. But we are so glad to have all of the kids in here with us. So we thought tonight we would pause in our study of Acts. Typically, we walk straight through a book of the Bible, and we are in Acts. But we're going to take a pause, and we're going to consider something uh, a little bit different tonight with our kids in the room. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you so grateful for this time as one big family, to gather under the name of Christ, the one who is Lord, the one who is God that took on flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that we uh, get to be together as a family to worship you, to grow in our knowledge of you, to sing praises to you, and to come to the throne of grace And ask for you to work in our hearts. Lord, you are worthy to be worshipped. You are holy, just, powerful, and mighty. Lord, our love often um, does not match your glory. But Lord, we pray tonight that you would work in our hearts and in our minds to grow our love for you, to grow our passion for you, to grow our fervency to make Jesus known. Lord, I thank you for uh, the kids that we have in this room. I thank you for the parents, the aunts, and uncles in the faith, the grandmas and grandpas in the faith, as we all gather together to be able to worship you. Lord, we pray that you would um, use this night, one small night on the blip of all of eternity, to make a difference in these kids' lives? Would um, our little toddlers see their parents and their aunts and uncles in the faith worship you? Would older children come to a deeper knowledge of the one true King, Lord Jesus? So, Father, we pray that you would work in and through us this evening. We pray that your word would really cut us deep. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to dive into it. We love you. We come before you in Christ's holy name. Amen. All right, kids, kids, I need you to wave. Wave to me. Can you wave to me? Kids in the room. 
I like some of the adults waving as well. That's perfect. Great. We, you know, we're all probably kids at heart anyway. But we are so glad to have you guys in our gathering. You play such a vital part of our church. And so this is vital for you to be in here tonight to see us worship the King. And we pray that it will also help you grow. Parents, feel free. I know little kids get antsy. Feel free to go to the back, to walk around, to do whatever you need. If they're making noise, it's totally fine. Uh, my wife and I, we lived in, in Kenya for a couple of years, and every service, tons of kids were in it, and it was very loud, and kids would come up on stage and do all sorts of things. So it won't distract me if your kids come up on stage and do whatever. Uh, I know they'll, they might get a little antsy. But I was thinking about for myself, growing up as, as a kid, I spent my entire life in church. Each week, I was in choir, I was in youth, I did confirmation, I grew up in the Methodist church. Yes, going back to the first one, I was in choir. Um, I will not sing for you, it is, it is a bad thing. Don't, don't sit near me while we're singing. I'm going to sing loud, I'm going to sing uh, with gusto, but it's not necessarily the best. But one major thing I missed while growing up in the church, one thing that I was blind to, is just being able to answer the question, why are we here? Why am I at this church gathering? What am I doing? Why are we here? What is the point? In many ways, it felt like a cultural event or just a, a family event. Maybe we were just there at the church gatherings, the different events, to just have some friends, to do the event, to do the thing that we were supposed to do. In many ways, I I would go through the motions, and probably you guys, kids and adults, have spent time just going through the motions at some point in your life. Maybe that's with school, you're just kind of going through the eight-hour day. Maybe it's just the motions of, uh, if you're a kid in the room and your parents just say that you have to make your bed, and it's like, I do not want to make my bed, but you just have to go through the motions. Maybe it's eating veggies. Maybe it's even gathering at Greer First Baptist Church in the gym on a Sunday evening, and we're just going through the motions. And many times we may have no clue why. Why am I going to school? Why do I have to make my bed? Why am I eating green veggies? Why am I here in this gym tonight? We go through the motions, and we can miss the whole point. I went through the motions all growing up. And really, I went through the motions until my first year in college, and the things started to change. The Lord started to get my attention. I started to realize there was more to church than going through the motions. There's something more to a relationship with God than just going through the motions, being a part of the cultural event. January 24th of 2010, I walked forward to receive Christ that day. I began to read my Bible for the first time on my own. Even in the, in the fall of that year, I led a Bible study of, of other sophomores at, at Furman, guys that would really become close friends to this day that would help me grow in my love for Jesus and repent from sin. But interestingly enough, even though I had walked forward, I, I still did not understand one of the most essential parts of Christianity and of following Jesus. So I say that January 24, 2010, I walked forward, but I think the Lord actually just got my attention that day. He started uh, revealing himself, kind of letting my eyes start to see who he was. But I didn't understand what Jesus had done. 
I didn't understand what Jesus had done. Until that fall, fall of my sophomore year in 2010, I was meeting with a guy named Sam Collins. He was working with a ministry called Campus Outreach at Furman. And we were talking through the Bible. We were starting to read the Bible together. And so we read Romans 1.16. It'll be on the screen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now I asked, I had grown up in church, but I had just missed it. I had gone through the motion. So I asked Sam, what is Paul talking about here? I should have capitalized gospel, yeah. I asked him, which gospel is Paul referring to here? Kids in the room, I need your help. The first four books of the New Testament, what do we sometimes call those books? Does anybody know? Chorus. What do we call the first four books in the New Testament? Do you know? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sometimes we refer to them as the Gospels. And so I asked Sam, what, which Gospel are we talking about? Are we talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? But I just didn't get it because that's not the right question. That's not the, the answer is not Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I didn't know the truth. I had gone through the motions. I had been all around the truth. I even said I followed Jesus, but I totally missed the central tenets of the Christian faith and of Jesus. And so then we worked through some things and we talked more about what it meant to follow Jesus. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Knowledge alone does not save us. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 should be on the screen. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who calls on Jesus as Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So we can have knowledge that Jesus is Lord, but that is not necessarily enough. We need to be surrendered to him. We need to be willing to follow him and do the will of his Father, our Father, who is in heaven. Really helpfully, uh, Katie Cooper in our community group a, a few weeks ago shared a quote from, from Jen Wilkin that I'll have on the screen. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. So it's important to know the truth, to know the truth of the Bible. If we don't know it, we can't Love it. Now, if you have uh, listened to the most recent All of the Above podcast where uh, Trevor and I and some other guys sometimes or or ladies will get on and and talk about some different things. Trevor asked me at the beginning about my love uh, for Christmas rom-coms. So if you didn't know that about me, I love Christmas rom-coms. I'm outing myself here, but I actually really enjoy rom-coms in general. They're usually kind of lighthearted. They have a fun ending. Um, Adam Cooper probably thinks I'm crazy for for liking rom-coms, but I do. But one of the recent ones that Casey and I were were watching uh, was uh, a soldier is about to go overseas, and then there's uh, a woman that needs health insurance, and so they decide to, to get married. The soldier needs extra money by being married, And so then, uh, but they don't know each other. They don't actually love each other. They're doing this marriage just to get money out of it. And so they don't love each other at the end. But then, as we keep going, and as they get to know each other, bit by bit, 
more by more, they learn a little bit more about who they are, who each individual person is. They at first hate each other, but as they learn, they grow in their love for one another. So we need to know God. We need to know Jesus to grow in our love. But knowledge alone does not mean we love God. So our question for tonight, our big question that we want to answer is what is the gospel? What is the gospel? This is what I was asking Sam that day, and this is what we want to work through tonight. Romans 1, it's not talking about four gospels. It's talking about the gospel, the one true gospel. And I want to go ahead and give us an answer to it. What is the gospel? It is God's good news. God's good news. That's maybe the most succinct way we can, we can think about it. And we're going to flesh that out as we go tonight. Because what is the good news? Who is the good news about? And how do we learn about this good news? Two passages in Mark that I want to read. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. This is one of these four Gospels that tells about the life of Jesus. And it's talking about the Gospel. The good news is about Jesus. The Gospel is about Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. So just a few verses later. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel. And so here Jesus came to proclaim the gospel. He says that people need to repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus came to proclaim the good news. Now the the word gospel or the word for the one who you know, gospelizes, the one who brings the gospel, we might say the herald of the good news, it occurs more than a hundred times in the New Testament. And it occurs in two-thirds of the books in the New Testament. In the book that we're studying, Acts, uh, Luke, uh, the gospel of Luke and Acts, Luke writes both of them. It most often talks about the herald, the one who brings the good news. The early church, one of their mandates is to proclaim the good news. Now, one of uh, Trevor's keys from his sermon last week on Stephen is that the good news of the gospel starts with bad news. The good news of the gospel starts with bad news. So to think about this, you know, if we have a a well visit with a doctor, if you guys are taking one of your kids, if you're an adult, you're going in for a well visit, you think everything's fine, and they give you the thumbs up, everything checks out, it's like, okay, great. You know, that's, that's good news. That's fine. But if you're going into a sick visit with a doctor and we find, we find cancer, we find tumors, we find cysts, whatever we find, that would be bad news. But then if you do the things the doctor says, you take medicine, you do whatever you're supposed to do, you go back in for another visit and they give you the thumbs up, that good news is way greater because of the bad news that you had. Think about, you know, taking, taking a test. If any of you kids are, are in school yet, and if you just make a 90 on every test, and then you make a 92, it's like, that's pretty good news. Like, I did a little bit better than I normally do. 
But if you've been making 60s on test after test after test, and then you make a 92, it's like, that's really good news. That's amazing because of the bad news that came before it. Good news very often requires bad news. So our passage tonight, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. So this is in the, the New Testament, just a little bit after the Gospels and after Acts, Galatians and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 3, and we're going to find the bad news. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now this book, this book of Ephesians in in chapter 1 tells us that it's written to saints. It's not necessarily an evangelistic book. It's not necessarily written to unbelievers. It's written to believers. And we, as believers in the room, need to hear the good news over and over again. And then if you, if you don't believe, you need to hear the good news over and over again. And we pray that the Lord will work in your heart tonight. We need to preach here and retain the gospel over and over and over again. Martin Luther, one of the reformers back in the 1500s, he, he would talk about in, in one of his, um, I think it's his commentary in, on Galatians, the, the need to talk about the gospel over and over because we easily forget the Lord. We can go through a day, definitely a week, And it's easy to forget the Lord. And this is one of the major reasons we gather week after week is to hear the gospel. In Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Apart from Christ, all we have is sin. We bring sin to the table. Now, this sin is not that we didn't make the best choices, maybe that we weren't super kind to our brother or sister. Maybe maybe those things are included But this is trying to highlight that we are one of the bad guys. You are a villain. I was thinking about who who are some of the worst villains that you know in in the movies, in books. I thought about people like Voldemort, Darth Vader, Joker, Sauron, the, the White Witch. We are evil. Evil is within all of us. And Ephesians 2 shows us our sin. We don't necessarily have to be taught this. It comes through our sinful nature that we inherit through Adam. So in the past, this is, this is talking about the past in verse 2, in which you once walked. So for the believers, this is, this is true of the past. Something has changed. And we'll get to that here in just a minute. And then we have in verse 2, the prince of the power of the air, the evil one, or, or Satan, He's at work. He's he's working to bring about disobedience even in believers. And verse 3 shows us that without Christ, we all pursue passions of our flesh. We carry out the whimsical and sinful desires of our bodies and minds. It says we are all by nature children of wrath. That is such a strong statement from Paul. 
All mankind are dead due to sin. You are sinful. Now, it's easy to say, I'm a, I'm a good person. Uh, I'm better than, you know, maybe the person sitting beside me. I'm better than the person at work or some, somebody else we know. But it's not true. At our very core, we are sinful, and the wages of sin is death. Paul, uh, Trevor quoted Paul last week, No one is righteous. All are dead in our trespasses and sins. So for the kids in the room, sin dwells within you. It dwells within your mommy and your daddy. They're going to wrong you at some point. It dwells most in me. And what does sin do? I think this should be on the screen. Sin brings death and separates us from our God. This is the bad news. That sin brings death and it separates us from our God. But there is hope. And there is the greatest hope, the greatest story, the greatest truth that has ever been written it's about Jesus. And so we get to see the good news in verses 4 through 9 in Ephesians. Let's read it. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we get the bad news. We need to to sit in the bad news. We need to understand the bad news. But then we just need to embrace And relish the good news. Verse 4, but God. Maybe the greatest transition in all of scripture. But God. You are sinful, dead, disobedient, following the evil one. But God, in his mercy, with forgiveness, he withholds the punishment that is supposed to come toward us. But God, because of his great love, despite us being in sin, he makes us alive together with Christ. He raises us up. We have a new identity in Christ. We have a heavenly citizenship. And then we see God's grace. God's grace may be giving us something we do not deserve. This grace has saved us. We don't deserve this salvation. But Christ took our punishment. He was born of a virgin. He experienced a death he did not deserve. He was buried, he was raised, and he ascended. We experience the great exchange where we are given Christ's righteousness and he takes on our sin, our punishment. How do we receive this new life? How do we receive this new identity that Paul talks about in Ephesians? Verse 8, by grace you are saved through faith. Faith being trust, to believe, to have faith in the person and work 
of Jesus Christ. Now, Christianity many times is displayed as a religion like any other religion. That the way you are made right in the religion is by something you do. I do good works. We often think salvation comes by what you do. That's how the world often thinks about Christianity. It's the way many self-proclaimed Christians think that Christianity works. That it comes by the works you do. Do more good works than bad works. But this is not what the Bible says. Verse 8, we are not saved by what we do. Your sin and trespasses lead to death and eternal separation from our God. So verse 8 and 9 says, we are not saved by works, but it is a gift of God through faith. In the Protestant Reformation, uh, 500 years ago, the uh, kind of time of, of Martin Luther and many other Protestants, uh, prominent reformers, they came up with five solas, five uh, kind of things that, that sola being alone or, or kind of by itself. And these five solas state that Christians are saved, this should be on the screen, Christians are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed by scripture alone, for God's glory alone. Christians are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed by Scripture alone, for God's glory alone. This is not to promote boasting. We cannot boast in our good works. This is all meant in many ways to humble us because I am sinful and yet God saved me. He has offered me a new identity. He has washed you white as snow if you are in Christ. So this is true of all of us. We are sinful, and yet Jesus gave his very life so that we may find true, abundant, and eternal life in him. And so we're only saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And so now what? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We're not saved by works. Made clear in verse 9. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, who knew us before the foundations of the world, he created and formed you. You are his workmanship. You were created in and for Christ. God has prepared good works for you to do. So this, this little statement should be on the screen. We, we are not saved by good works, made clear in verse 8 and 9, but we are saved for good works, verse 10. Christianity, in, in many ways, is not a religion of works. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. We cannot earn it. We do not deserve salvation. We deserve damnation and hell forever. But God, being rich in mercy, has offered salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, helps us to know a little bit of what this looks like. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, so we need knowledge that Jesus is Lord, and we have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
So while we are, we are not a religion of works, belief is revealed through our fruit. In some ways, we are a religion of works, verse 10 makes clear, as a response to our salvation. As a response, we live out the good works that God has prepared beforehand. And in many ways, we want to turn this temporal world, this world that we experience, upside down through our good works because of what Christ has taught. And it has been turned upside down by Christians for the last 2,000 years. So the Bible tells the true story of the whole world. It tells the gospel The world started off perfect and good, Genesis 1 and 2. And yet it was broken by sin at the fall, Genesis 3. And we just get to taste that over and over and over again throughout Israel's history. But then we have good news. Jesus lived a perfect life, died a wretched death, bore God's wrath, obtained salvation for those who would believe. He rose again, conquering sin, death, and the devil And he rose to the right hand of the Father. And the last thing is that he will come again and make all sad things untrue. And in many ways, in baptism, we get to uh, image the gospel. When When we go under the water, we are buried with Christ. We are dead to sin. And when we're brought out of the water, we're brought to new life. So what is the gospel? That is our question. What is the gospel? In many ways, it's Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. It's what's happened through the person and work of Christ. But maybe explain just a little bit more. What is the gospel? It's God's good news that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. Kids, you can turn to Jesus As Lord and as Savior, you can do it tonight. You can do it whenever the Spirit works in your heart. would encourage you to talk to your parents about what is the gospel. Please explain it more to me. And we're going to take a moment here in just a minute. I'm going to pray, and we're going to turn, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is an image of the gospel. We have the bread that the body of Christ is broken. We have the juice, that the blood of Christ is shed. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read through our our communion liturgy, and then I'll explain a little bit more of our logistics, and then we'll take the communion together. So let's pray. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that we have the opportunity to study about the gospel, to understand that this gospel is is good news that comes from you, all about Jesus. It's all centered upon Christ. God, we thank you that you you created a good and perfect world, and yet we have chosen sin. But you have made a way through Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you lived a perfect life, that you lived a life that we could not live. You died the death that we deserved. And you have given us righteousness. Lord, I pray if there's anyone 
in this room that is just under the weight of their sin, whether believer or unbeliever, that they would be able to leave it, that they would be able to turn from it through the power of the Spirit and delight in Jesus, the one who conquers death and pays for that sin. Lord, I pray that you would be worshiped tonight through our taking of these elements. We thank you that we get to rehearse the gospel to ourselves by taking of this bread and taking of this juice. We pray that you would help us to know more and more of the gospel. We love you. Amen.